0: Oh, that's an exodus. I'm telling you, that's an exodus. Awesome, alright, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead, and open them up, or uh, type them in, uh, Matthew chapter 25, uh, Matthew 25, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, uh, we would love to gift one to you, uh, and so just raise your hand, and Swan will run it to you, uh, here in just a moment, uh, we are traveling through the gospel of Matthew, I believe, uh, God willing, we will finish our journey, uh, here, uh, before the end of the year, Uh, I know, you're like, no, that's a lie. Uh, It has been uh, a little over two years uh, in this journey, and so why rush the ending, right? Uh, Let's let it unfold before us like a good movie. Uh, But but I'll tell you this. uh, We've had... uh, Here at Merge, we've had this influx of some guests arrive, uh, and they've arrived at perhaps some of the most difficult chapters, uh, I believe, in all of the Bible. Uh, And so... Uh, but we, we patiently walk through books of the Bible uh, because we want the Word of God to read us uh, as we read it. We want to uh, investigate our lives according to God's Word. And so um, by, by walking through books of the Bible, regardless of what chapter you've arrived in today, uh, we, we want the Word to lead. Uh, and so we don't want to be cowards of it. And so, but, but these last few weeks have not been easy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, chapter 23, chapter 25, through 25, deal with some some weighty subjects regarding what Christ promises to do uh, when He returns, how uh, our posture should be as we wait for Him, uh, and then uh, just really how we can celebrate His return uh, because He shows up in a triumphal fashion. And and what's been most difficult to me to preach uh, has been attempting, not really... Attempting to paint a picture of the signs of the times, uh, and luckily you don't have to rely on me to have said I've decoded the Bible, uh, because because Jesus very clearly has told us: Listen, when it happens, you will know. Uh, it will be undeniable because there will be things like the angels of heaven joining with him as he descends, as you hear the blare of a, the blast of a trumpet. Uh, he says there will be a time when when all nations will see this this morning, when all nations will be Gathered around him, so so we don't have to try to decode or guess. We live with this this anticipation, uh, with this uh, urgency that Christ will return, and we believe that because He has never told us a lie. And, and what's been hard these last couple weeks is is attempting to raise an urgency in in our hearts uh, for investigating whether or not your faith is personal. That's really what Jesus has been pressing uh, all, really all the way from chapter 21 on uh, as he interacts with some religious people who will say, hey, my heart is God, and Jesus says, no, it, it most definitely is not. Uh, and so what's been hard, at least for me, as I try to present this to you, is, is saying, okay, just because uh, you prayed a prayer one time in your life, uh, just because uh, your grandma is in heaven because she was super spiritual does not mean necessarily that your heart is Christ. Uh, that, 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 that's the ongoing work of the gospel. Uh, that as God transforms us, we would see things in our hearts and in our lives changed for His glory. And, and the audience Jesus is addressing uh, is very much lost in religion. And that's, that's easy to do, especially uh, in our day, that, that it's easy um, to answer this question of, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus, and say, yo, absolutely, you know, without investigating and and seeing that it's really easy to even deceive ourselves, uh, that, that we would be following a version of the gospel that really is just a distortion of it. And and here's what we know, uh, that, that the audience, again, Jesus is speaking to, is, is very much lost. In religion, and so we've kind of come in and we said, okay, well, how about us? And not necessarily how about us, but more importantly, how about you? Do, do you practice religion to keep God off your back, <laughs> or do you follow Jesus because you are deeply in, in love uh, with Him? Because God has shown His love through Jesus. Has that changed the way you are? Because because here's what we know: religion can trick you. Uh, it, it's, it's not completely evil, uh, but it won't leave you, and it most definitely can trick you, because here's what happens is is when you succeed, you start to develop this mentality of, I don't know if I really need God to help me. And then if you fail, you develop this mentality of saying, well, I have zero worth. Why would God even want to be part of, of whatever this is? And, and where these last few weeks have been walking us, uh, through some parables, we talked about the bridesmaids. We talked about last week the talents. That this morning is going to walk us through a metaphor. Uh, in fact, the verses before us are going to describe people as two animals. Don't don't look ahead uh, and don't act like you know. But let's let's go ahead and ask this question. Have you ever have you ever had that discussion? What's your spirit animal? Uh, so so if you could be if you could be an animal, all right. Let's just go ahead. What what animal would you be? Oh, that's not rhetorical. Let's go ahead. Answer that out loud. Tiger, all right, yeah. Iguana, all right. Mark wants to be an iguana. That's weird. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, my, mine is, is either a, a grizzly bear or a lion. I know. You're, why do you say that? You laughed. He's like, he's so small. Yeah, that's hurtful. Friendship on probation. Um, okay, now now here's, here's what we know. All you chickens, uh, they're like, yeah, I want to be a chicken for a day. Um, Here's what Jesus is going to say. In this metaphor, he's going to say, all right, all people turn into two different animals. Okay, Sheep and goats. And you're like, those are maybe the most uncool animals in the history of mankind, right? Uh, And so so this is is where he kind of leads us. And uh, and granted, neither are probably on your list of even the top ten animals you'd like to be for a day. um, but, But the tension that's going to be surfaced this morning, uh, is, is asking this question, is my faith active? Is my faith active? Uh, and uh, do we have compassion for others like God has compassion for us? Um, and after all, Christianity is not making sure we never become sinful and needy people. Uh, apart from Christ, that's what we are. And, and in Christ, we realize that He's rescued us from that sinfulness and, and rescued us from uh, certain neediness. And and so what we want to do is realize that because God has blessed me, I'm going to do what I can of help those who are far from God find life in Christ. That we would walk and live with this understanding that all of us apart from Christ are very sinful, very needy, in desperate need for rescue. Uh, and that we would live in a manner that that becomes the anthem of our lives. So uh let's pray and then we'll get going in, in verse 31. father we come to you. we thank you for your words today. Thank you that you care for us so very deeply. Father I pray that as we get to explore and and investigate and ask questions that that your holy Spirit would speak to us that he would guard us against the deception of the of the evil one, that he would guard us against our own, self-deception and self-sabotage that that we would see very clearly what Jesus is saying today so that we can make Him known all the more. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. Alright, so here we go. Uh, Now I should say this. If you were in our merge groups uh, on Wednesday night, I was a little disappointed uh, because in our study through the Apostles' Creed, we're we're going through this this video study, um, the guy who was talking about um, this week's topic um, uses the exact same verses that I'm using today, uh, and he said some really good things. And so, let's assume if you've already heard this before, that I'm saying it to you for the very first time, and it was genius. Uh, so I'm like, ooh, that's good. I'm gonna have to say that. Uh, and so, so here we go. All right, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. This is what Jesus says. Okay, so the last couple of weeks, he's been giving us snapshots of what it will look like when he brings his kingdom. And so he says in 31, When the Son of Man comes, and now, if you like to underline your Bible, well, these these next three words are huge. In His glory, and all the angels with Him, that He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate uh, people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. That's our metaphor this morning, okay? And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And if you're a left hander like me, you're like, What's wrong with the left, bro? Um, But He's like, I don't really care, okay? So, so here's here's what we need to know, okay? We have this metaphor. He says, When I come, I will separate people uh, like a shepherd would sheep. Now, Jesus has told us in His Gospels that He is the good shepherd, that He cares for His sheep in the best of ways possible. Uh, and so, so there's going to be a few thoughts that kind of carry us through uh, our passage together. And the first one is this, uh, and I think uh, Ryan is just going to keep giving you the blanks well before I get there. Um, but the first thought is simply this: that that when Jesus returns, what is most on display will be His glory. Okay, it will be His glory. Okay, here's what Jesus tells us. Okay, now, and this is this is almost the the polar opposite of His arrival. Right? I mean, here we're going to approach the Christmas season and before you know it, and we'll talk about this baby who was born in, uh, in a manger, and nobody kind of knows about it except for some shepherds and some camels apparently, right? Uh, and, and we will make much about that secret arrival, but when he says, when I come back, when I come back, the world will be on notice. They will see it. And it is all about my glory. It is all about what I am doing. And and I feel, uh, as he describes this, he says, I'm bringing the angels. And and when I bring the angels, they're bringing the throne. And I'm sitting on the throne. And all the nations are going to be gathered. And I have a hard time, even with the greatest painters that we've ever had, I have a hard time believing that they can capture the beauty and the magnitude of this moment that Jesus is speaking about. Uh, In fact, uh, I think it's easy for us uh, as we have been processing through His his arrival, the second coming, uh, that we think of it through the lens of ourselves, right? Or, in fact, some of us will feel the urgency or the guilt of like, oh man, i got to clean up some stuff because I never know if He's going to come back today, tomorrow, or whenever. But, but here's what you need to understand, that when Christ comes back, it is not necessarily all about you. And you're like, what? But it was always all about me. He says, no, no, no. When I come back, this is about my glory." And then secondly, what he tells us, uh, and, and we're here already, uh, you've, you've already moved on, you've know, you texted Ryan, like, 12 o'clock game, let's go, bro, keep him going, um, is that, that Jesus, as the good shepherd, will be responsible for the separation? I love this. I love this. Okay, I, coach, I coach 11, 12 year old soccer uh, and, and now we're not as good as we think we are but we're not as bad as I think we are sometimes. And, 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 but, but part of the process is getting them uh, getting a lineup uh, where everybody rotates in equal fashion and you know, so all the parents won't call me during the week and, uh, and if you coach, you know you know what I'm talking about right? You feel that tension. Um, but it never fails and, and I've had a lot of these guys since like five six year old soccer. Uh, and, but it never fails that we will start a game and someone will say, Hey, can I play? And just fill in the blank. And, and I'm like, you've been with me since you were six. When have I ever let you just said, Hey, guys, who wants to play where today? Uh, and, but I'm like, Hey, listen, here's, here's what you need to know. I get to be the coach today. You get to be the player. And your parents get to go stand over there. All right? That's that's what that's the way this game works today. I get a coach, you get a play. So I've spent time trying to figure out how to get you in the best spot to help the team do the best that they can do. Alright? So go do whatever I've told you to do. That's basically what I'm saying. Now now why do I mention that? Because this is what Jesus has told us. He says, When I come in my glory, I will be responsible for the separation. So so what does that mean for us in the church? It means you don't have to feel the responsibility of telling God who should and should not be in. He takes that completely off of your hands. He says, you get to do one thing, you get to love people. And you say, well, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I thought I get a say in something like that. He said, no, no, no. You don't, you don't. You get to love them. He say, well, what if I don't think they deserve you? That's not your problem. And it's not your responsibility. I've tasked you. I have changed you. I'm transforming you to understand this one concept. Your life has become about making you known. And you're not responsible for their salvation. You're not. I'm responsible for it. I do the separation. And and, and so, so I, I find that to be very liberating to me. That, that I don't know. I no longer have to view people through the lens of, am I supposed to like them or not? Okay? If you've ever asked God, am I supposed to love this person or not? The answer is always yes. And you're like, well, what if they've wounded me? He says, well, there's this there's this concept of forgiveness. And he says, I've forgiven you for debts much larger. And you're like, well, you don't know the wound. And he's like, I absolutely don't know the wound. In fact, we're going to walk through that wound here in the next couple of weeks that we have a merciful judge who extends his mercy, first to us, right? We've experienced that in Christ. Uh, and then we have a just judge who is right to punish sin. He is, he is rightful and, and just to do the separation. So you don't have to worry anymore in your life about saying, God, no, 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 I need to protect them, protect you from them, because they don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't think like us. He said, no, 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 no. I'm sending you into the darkest of places to be a light for me. That's your job. That's your responsibility. And now now, what's going to allow before us today is asking which animal we must be, right? And that both are going to end up in completely different eternal locations. They will uh, each have uh, completely different eternal experiences. And Jesus says "Your the separation is going to be based on DNA, and he will say that, that a sheep uh, will be, I'm sorry, my right, uh, that a sheep will be blessed and a goat will be cursed. A sheep will be blessed, a goat will be cursed, but let's not confuse, uh, let's not be confused in regards to what he says in the following verses. He's not giving us instructions in what we must do to be sheep. Okay? What he's doing, he says that the actions of the sheep described here are markers that they are sheep, not goats. Uh, that, that, that if you are a sheep, you will do sheep-like things. Okay? That's that's what he is describing. That that we know through the Bible that we become sheep, uh, to stick with the metaphor, uh, by the blood of Jesus through the cross. That we become rescued in Christ through the cross. And and so, so what I want to make sure is, that what is expressed here, that's expressed thoroughly that the actions of the sheep are not to get the relationship or to become better sheep in the eyes of the shepherd, um, but, but rather the actions of the sheep are because of their relationship with the shepherd. Are you with here? Because, because what can happen is we can develop this very works-based uh, salvation theology, and it's very dangerous because you become a really big deal in your eyes with God. And you say, hey, you're welcome that I'm on your team. Uh, and so, so let's, let's see what I'm talking about. Cause some of you are like, I'm on board. Some of you are like, just hurry this along. And Ryan's probably already got all of our blanks down. All right, here we go. So verse 34. He's going to talk about the separation. I'm just kidding. With you, man. You're doing a great job. Um, it says this, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's a can of worms. Man, I would love to spend the next four or five hours trying to uh, unpack with you. but we don't have that time. So he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying this, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And, and the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And the common belief, much like today, looks like, was that if, if there was a person afflicted, uh, rather that be sickness and in prison, it was because they had been cursed by God, and we should have nothing to do with it. Uh, and and if, if you were an addict, if you were divorced, if you were a leper, then clearly that meant God was completely through with you. And, and the It's uh, not the way the Bible teaches what God is doing with these people. Uh, that this cannot, could not, cannot be any further from the truth. Jesus says, not only do I love these people, but I identify with them. You you walk past them, and I walk to them. When, when you walk past, you need to realize that it is as if you are walking right past me. Because those are those opportunities to be light in dark places. And so to stay with the metaphor, those who have been transformed by the gospel uh, are sheep. Uh, and when sheep are sheep, they do sheep-like things. And you have, can you say the word sheep any more times in the next 30 seconds. We'll find out. Um, and he tells us that, that sheep have a, a particular manner of living. And he says this, it isn't forced. It isn't forced. Uh, that it's an action that comes from who they are. Right, now, here's your argument, because I know it, because I present it to the Holy Spirit, too. Are some of these people in need um, according to their own undoing? Absolutely. Or, or do, do some of these people possibly deserve the state that they are in? Quite possibly, Yeah. Uh, but, but it's imperative that we consistently remember that before we came to a saving relationship in Christ we were just as lost we were, we were just as sinful we were just as bound for hell uh, as, as the uh, and it was all our fault it was our own undoing and so here's, here's our next lesson point that, that Jesus had compassion on us and we're to show compassion to others and you're like dude that dude. right what a novel concept. And this is what the gospel is. This is what Jesus is building into you as He builds you up. That 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 you would understand the compassion that He has bestowed upon you that you don't keep it for yourselves. You say, hey, I've experienced this and I want you all to experience this. Regardless of the person. And regardless of the wound. And regardless of the inconvenience. We've, we've been shown grace in part because of God's great love and I believe in part because it's a model for how we are to treat one another. And again, let's not confuse this. The act of caring is not what allows the salvation. You don't care enough for people and then eventually tell God, hey, I've cared for like 50 people today. Um, We're good, right? Now I can be a jerk to the other 50. No, that's not the way this works. He says, the act of caring is evidence that God is doing something in you. Jesus' point is that if you are authentically wrapped up in the gospel, then your care for people will become more obvious. After all, next lesson point, how I love others is a reflection of how I love God. There's this moment in the Bible when when somebody says, Hey, Jesus, we have all these rules. Tell us the biggest two. Tell us what's most important. And he says that you would love God and you would love people. And he says that you would do those things with all of your being. With all of your being. And how we love one another. Uh, you can spend some time in First John uh, who, who paints this picture really well that, that we are always re- living as this reflection that God has loved us first therefore we display His love to the world. Uh, that there cannot be um, a separation between those two thoughts. He says, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. You now some of you are like, well, I like my brother. He's cool. He's cool. He's all right. I don't know what that's like. And neither does my brother. Um, but but I believe when, when we find verses like that in the Bible, we're not dealing with the brother that might be an inconvenience at times. We're talking about the brother who done heinous things in this world that, that you look at and you say in my spirit you have no value what you have done separates you from any sort of affection that I have and God says in his word that, that when you come across that person you can muster up love because that's the same intensity So we go to verse 41. It says, then I will say to those on the left, so the sheep are like all sheeping it up, and they're like, oh, sweet, cool, all right, good deal. All right, they're, they're on the right-hand side. Uh, and then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, some of y'all mind. What? For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick, and I was in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. And righteous into eternal life. Okay? So, so, these are the two destinations, right? Yeah, like, wait a minute. I thought we would all have options. I thought um, going to heaven would be kind of like going to uh, Orange Leaf here, that there would be a ton of options. And whatever I wanted to do, it was just cool as long as I eventually paid for what I had. He says, no. He goes, the way this works is there are two destinations. One experiences my blessing, the other experiences my curse. And that curse is simply the removal of that relationship. It's the turning of the back from God. And I think there are a few interesting tidbits in here uh, in the cursing of the goats. First, we get a glimpse of the punishment awaiting uh, the devil and the angels. And if we're not careful, we, we can develop this false view. And I don't know where I developed it from. Uh, I'm sure it was, it was wrong uh, to begin with as I read the Bible. But that, that people go to hell and, like, uh, we, we paint this picture as if Satan and God are polar opposites uh, but equals. Uh, and so uh, God said, hey, I'll take above the earth and you take below the earth. And that somehow uh, Satan rests as this, this overlord and his job is to torment people. And what we find when we read the Bible is that there is a place prepared for him. There is a place prepared for him and it's not so he can just kick back for eternity. It's because he sits in torment. There's a lake of fire that he is thrown into. And so he rests in torment. And what God says is is not only him, but the angels that left with him. And then all those people who have rejected me. Okay? And that right there is what rubs us in in our society, right? Wait, wait, wait. How can you be so loving and yet send people to hell? And when that becomes the case, we forget that God has been long-suffering. He has been ruthlessly patient. And He has been honest from the very moment. The very moment of our sin, God says, that's the problem. Because I'm holy. Because I will not, will not tolerate that. And that's why Jesus is so spectacular. He's God out of His love for us at and he has made that message known. And I think these are hard words to swallow. But, but let's stay in the context of, of the last few conversations we've seen Jesus having with his audience and who he's speaking with. He, he stopped down in the Mount of Olive. Of he's given his final discourse um, and he's speaking to his disciples and my suspicion Uh, is that because it seems like anywhere the disciples are, church people are kind of following. Uh, Sometimes the lead people are there just to refute whatever Jesus has said, uh, and then other times there's like minions kind of following along, uh, and then they'll take word back to to home base and say, you won't believe what he said this time. Uh, and, And I think there's a good case to be made in verses 42 through 46 that Jesus is further addressing the way religious people were treating others. Uh, in fact, on their way to worship, they would pass by and they would avoid coming in contact with very hurting, very needing people. Uh, that, that Jesus was saying, if you curse others, you can't worship me. You can't. For, for, this, for us, I think this serves as a stark reminder and a great motivator in realizing this very simple thought Okay? And this might sound strange from a pastor, but, but that, that God is calling you to do more outside these walls than perhaps He will ever invite you to do inside them. Hear? That, that, that God is calling you to do more outside these walls than perhaps He will ever call you to do inside them. And And this, this is the danger of how we've built churches over the last... 30, 40 years. Because we've built them as safe havens, and we've done a lot of stuff to impress one another, but all we've done is celebrate each other, and no one gets to get And so all of a sudden, we create evangelism on our own terms, and we say, hey, uh, well, if you'll just come to church, then um, that that pastor guy will do something. He'll say something inappropriate, you know, you're like, oh, no, this guy, and then eventually you'll get saved. That's the way it works. And that's when you read the Bible, that that's not the model. That's not even the concept. So we've created this mentality of that well well, okay, I do my greatest things for God in this room. Well, let's let's think about this logically, and my math is sound because that's Mark about it, okay? We have 168 hours this week. 168 hours. Now let's assume you showed up here this morning for two hours. All right? You hit. You showed up like at 10:02. That way you avoided the weird prayer that we do to get started. Uh, and then you were like, "I'm going to get a good jump on the donuts, right? Pick out the best ones um, because that's what Jesus would want me to do today." And then you hung around and you left here at 12. And I'm like kicking you out. You're like, "I got to be here for two hours." All right? that two hours accounts for a little over 1% of your week. Let's just put that into the equation. Now let's say, let's say you're like the super spiritual here. and you showed up for Wednesday night merge groups. You showed up at 6 o'clock, right? You got started at 6.30, so, so you were trying, you came in wondering if the hearts were eating uh, and you're like, well maybe they'll let me eat something that they've made, Right? Um, because clearly, Jesus says, you need to feed people who are in need. Uh, it's the Bible. And then let's say you, you stuck around to the very end and put in another two hours on the end of the day. Right? Do you realize that those two hours, now we've equated for under 3% of your week. So if our mentality is that we do our best work for God when we are together in this thing on Sunday mornings or together when we are in biblical community on Wednesday nights, we have grossly misplaced our intentions of the gospel. We've created something that becomes very much about us. And we forget that when our light is together, it's plenty bright for us to see. But that was not the intention of the gospel call. The gospel call is that you would go, that you would live as a light in the darkness, you would go to places that need the light the most. And so so God doesn't speak to you in these moments when we're together um, so that you can just do something in this moment. That's that's why we come together. We all have our each week we're adventuring with God and what we get to do when we come here on Sunday morning is we get to make much of Jesus. We get to lift high the name of Jesus. We, we get to gather together. We get to pray with one another. We get to, to share our stories. But then tomorrow, when you're not with um, all of us, you have incredible things to do for the glory of God. And now the, the other thing is this, and I, I don't want to stick on that point too long, uh, but the other thought is this, that, that we have to keep in mind that when the goats are being cursed, it breaks the heart of the Holy Trinity breaks the heart. For some reason we've developed in our society this mentality that, that, that God delights in sending people to hell. And that's not the case. And I, I wonder if we've developed that mentality in our society because of the way the church has represented God as ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation that we would say, no, you can't be reconciled to God because you don't deserve it. And so here's what we to understand that, that Jesus takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked he does I was reminded of this, this passage in Ezekiel on Wednesday night from this guy and I was like oh that's genius to he's at verse but that Ezekiel is prophesying over the nation of Israel and, and there's destruction coming upon them that their hearts are not being rendered and Ezekiel is pleading with them on behalf of God saying hey render your heart to me turn from your evil ways And he says this in in the 33rd chapter, verse 10. He says, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have, have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Verse 11, he says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? And we find in other places that that the greatest celebrations in all of heaven happen when the heart of the wicked turns and hands it to Christ. See, the angels in heaven rejoice when the sinner is. And so I don't want us to be confused because, because this, this can be very confusing about the heart of the Father. That, that okay, I, I've heard that He is loved, and why would He do such a hard and a, such a mean thing? Why would He be willing to let them uh, have uh, this eternal punishment? And we have to understand that it doesn't bring Him delight. But He says, this is the way, this is the consequence for rejecting me. So we can we can start wrapping this up. That, okay, now uh, I'll tell you where we're going in the next couple of weeks. Um, not that these chapters have been easy by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but 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 these next couple of weeks, as we progress, we will see some some incredibly painful things happen. Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be unfairly tried. He's going to be punished. He's going to be crucified. Uh, He's going to be placed in a grave. And spoiler alert, he's going to come back from that grave. He will will ascend into heaven. And and then the Gospel of Matthew will end. And and it's some of the most tragic but yet beautiful scenes in our stories. Tragic that it was necessary, beautiful that it happened. And, And the weight of our sin... These next couple of weeks will be exposed and the beauty of Christ prayerfully will be celebrated in these next couple of weeks. But for us today, I, I I want us to press two thoughts. I want us to press two thoughts. I only have one blank for you, but I want us to press two thoughts that, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, simply ask this: Is my faith genuine, and is it active, or is it this mask of religion that's Have you convinced yourself or justified enough in your life to say, well, as long as I go to church, then I can keep God off my back, and and as long as, um, if I've having a really bad week, um, if I show up on Wednesday night, then uh, surely everything will be cool by Sunday. Is, is that your intention? Or do you have a genuine and an active faith? And maybe a better way to put this your last blank. Do I love and serve the way God loves and serves? Do I love and serve the way God loves and serves? So, so am I truly believing on Christ as my Savior and my Lord? And then I guess the other thought is, is okay if if that isn't the case with my life, then what it what what is going on? What's going on in my heart? Why do I want to harbor a uh, hoard forgiveness? Why do I want to see people through the eyes of skepticism? Why do I feel a compulsion? to be responsible for the people that God allows to have a relationship with Him. Why? And I'll just let you deal with that. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make some prayer available to you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. We we long to start that adventure with you. We long to celebrate with you. Maybe you need prayer because you do realize today that your faith has been fairly dormant. That it's been much too safe, much too comfortable. You need prayer this morning. We want to we want to pray with you. I love you guys. Let's let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We cherish your word today. And we pray that it would continue reading us. In Jesus' name we pray.